0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you're here. If this is your first time here, we were expecting you. We have as many seats as we are legally allowed to put in the room here. We knew this would be the big service today, at least we thought it was going to be. Um, Easter Day is a major, major celebration around the world because it's the day Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And as we just sang, because of that, we are children of the living God. Now, I'm Chris Marshall. I'm the lead pastor here. And I'm also the child of Clyde Marshall. Clyde Marshall was born in 1921, which meant that he was a teenager in the midst of the Great Depression. So in eighth grade, he finished eighth grade, and then he had to quit school and go to work for 50 cents a day to help support his family. Now, what that meant was my dad never got an official education, but he believed in education. In fact, he became a coal miner eventually, and he had four sons. And three of us went to college, and three of us have master degrees, and one of us has a doctorate because my dad wanted us to learn, but my dad always had sort of a love-hate relationship with higher learning. He he said, you know, an ounce of common sense is worth ten years of college, and I believe that he was right. I am his son, and, and we're going to be in a series right now that's really uh, designed because of how much we value education sometimes over common sense. And I remember a time, I was about 11 years old, and my dad and I were at Pioneer Lake. We were standing on the bridge, and we had a cousin. I had a cousin who was an adult. He had a master's degree in mechanical engineering, and he was visiting from New York. And so his wife was backing uh, their boat into the lake, and after, you know, got off the trailer, and he realized that the plug in the back of the boat was out, and water was coming in the back of his boat. So he jumps out of his boat and gets in the water and holds up the back of his boat and calls for his wife to bring the trailer back. Now, my dad sees all this and he says to me, if that kid gets another year of education, he's going to be so stupid, he's not going to be able to eat. (laughs) Now, just saying, I went to college for uh, four more years after, more than my cousin. So I'm not against education and we're not against education here at New Life, but we do like common sense because you look in a world, you look out there in the world and you see this amazing creation, you go, huh, common sense would tell you there was a creator. But we're going to go beyond common sense in this series. This new series is called The Reason for God. It's really based on a book by a pastor from New York called Timothy Keller. And, and it, The Reason for God has a subtitle, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. So over these uh, next six weeks, we're going to talk about some reasons why a person who has some intelligence ought to uh, trust God as Savior and Lord in their life through Jesus Christ. And, and actually, the series after that, we're going to do a, a series called You Ask for It. And the you is going to be you. And so what we're going to do right now, if you would get out this thing called a connection, I hope you got one when you came in. Inside there is a little uh, piece of paper that says, Ask the Pastors. What we're going to do is we're going to ask you right now to write down the answer to these two questions. What are the biggest struggles you're facing right now? And if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And we're going to take a minute and a half. It's going to be a timer up on the screen as soon as I say go. And you're going to answer those two questions. If you're a guest, if you would just check, I'm a guest. If you're a regular attender, check, I'm a regular attender. The reason for that is we're sort of curious to see if the questions you ask will be the same or different based on whether you're here for the first time, first or second time, or if you're a regular attender here at New Life. So right now, minute and 30 seconds, let's go. If you don't have a pen, raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. Should be some in front of you or on your seat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending Jesus to die and to rise again, that we might have life now and forever. God, I pray that your spirit would open our hearts today, that we might receive your message, your truth, that we might go out and live resurrected lives here and now and look forward to the day when we will all live forever with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My favorite part of all four services so far has been that minute and 30 when I hear the little voices some people don't like that. I love that sound because there are so many churches these days that don't have little voices. You know, there aren't little children. There aren't teenagers. But we, we have so many. And, and today, uh, it's so cool to have all of you here. And, and, and if you're a little, feeling a little weird because your child's making noise, don't feel weird because I don't hear that. As soon as I get started here, neither will you. Okay, so let's move forward. Uh, I love the, the joy of little children and the excitement. And even I heard one say, why? That's a really good question. You know, that's how you learn. You know, you ask questions. So anyway, we live in a world that seems to be making less and less sense when it comes to this matter of truth. In fact, 70% of Americans will now say there is no such thing as absolute truth. No such thing as absolute right, absolute wrong. They're just are, Everything is whatever. Whatever you think is okay, whatever I think is okay. If I think there's only one way to heaven through a guy named Jesus, that's okay for me. But don't push that on you That's what our culture says. It's whatever. The thing is, human beings have been on the planet for thousands of years. Thousands of years we've been here. And the thing is, it's only been the last two to 300 years where the whatever thing came into being. It's only the last two or 300 years where scientists and philosophers have started to say that reason can get us from point A to point B, can get all of our answers that we will ever need. And if you can't see, touch, taste, smell, or hear it, it's not... It's either not real or else it just can't be reproduced. So what's the point of talking about it? Which eliminates miracles, by the way, because you can't reproduce miracles in a laboratory. And we're going to talk about today the most important miracle of all. And that's really the title of today's message. But anyway, as we think about what happened during those two to 300 years, the voice of reason said, give us 100 years. Let us get rid of superstition and religion. And what will happen is we will be able to eliminate violence and oppression and hunger and poverty. And so now we've had two or 300 years, and what have we had? Well, in in the 1900s, in the middle of the 1900s, we had a guy who believed in science, absolutely. He believed in evolution, absolutely. He started the Second World War, and more people died during that war than any war in the history of the world. And and then throughout the 20th century, there were many dictators who were atheists, and science was supposed to be their their way of doing things, And, and they produced more violence, oppression, hunger, and poverty than had ever been produced by religion in the history of the world. And so what's happened in our day is people don't believe in reason anymore either. People don't believe in religion. They don't believe in superstition. They don't believe in religion. They believe in popularity. Whatever's popular, let's do that. Whatever feels good, let's do that. And so we vote with our emotions and we vote with, with the numbers. And whatever most of us want to do, that's what we do. And that's why if you ask somebody, what are you going to do Friday night? Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard what everybody else is doing yet. You see, thinking is something that we we don't value very much in this culture. And what we're going to do during this series, the reason for God in the next series, you ask for it, is we're going to address some of these big picture questions. And here's the premise which underlies this series. The premise is having faith in Jesus Christ is both reasonable and transformational. Having faith in Jesus Christ is both reasonable and transformational. The problem with whatever is it doesn't lead to anything meaningful. It doesn't lead to anything purposeful. In fact, the Center of Disease Control says that in in America today, teenagers, 12 to 19-year-olds, the 75% of them who die, die because of accidents, homicide, and suicide. One of every 10 teenagers who dies in America dies from suicide. That's what whatever ultimately gets you. Because if there's no meaning and purpose to life, then why do we want to extend our lives? You see, accidents and homicide and suicide are all preventable. We could eliminate 75% of teenagers' deaths if we would focus on the root cause behind it. And the root cause behind it is whatever. It's that attitude that that there's not something meaningful and purposeful. And and so what we're going to do during this message series is we're going to address some things. And I hope if you're under 20... I hope you'll be here every single week if you can at all. Or if you can't, you can watch it on the newlifexn.org on our website as they're posted every week. Because these messages are going to address some questions that basically your culture has told you there are no answers to these questions. And some of you are saying, hey, this is Easter. Are you going to talk about Jesus' resurrection? (laughs) Yes, I am. I'm going to talk about Jesus' resurrection a lot. But I want to frame it in the context of the greater picture of these questions that were up on the screen you know, could a loving God send people to hell? Is is there really only one religion that's true? How could only one religion be true? And, and this one, if there is a loving God, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Now, I watched the Superman Batman movie that just came out, and Lex Luthor said this. He said, God cannot be all loving and all powerful, or all good and all powerful, because if He's all good and all powerful, there wouldn't be any suffering. So either He's not all good, which is why they're suffering, or He's not all powerful, which is why they're suffering. And you know why Lex Luthor came to that conclusion? Because his father used to beat him, according to the movie. You see, all suffering ultimately is personal. All suffering ultimately is personal. We can read about the statistics of thousands of people died of hunger or this or that. But when somebody dies who's close to us, it's personal. When somebody abuses us, it's personal. And so we ask these big picture questions. And the questions that we ask have to do with... Is there ultimately any purpose, any meaning in life? And I'm here to tell you today, yes, there is an ultimate meaning and purpose in life. And Jesus Christ is at the very center of that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. In fact, our take-home point for today, and if you're new here, we seek to make one point every week. And here's this week's take-home point. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Now, that's a big if. If Jesus rose from the dead, it really does change all of history because if Jesus rose from the dead, then he is the savior of sinners. He is the Lord of all creation. He is the one who came to rescue us individually and all of us collectively from lives of whatever. So that's the very, very, very big question. Did he really rise from the dead? And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look to the Gospel of Matthew. It's in the Bible. It's the first book in the New Testament, and there are four Gospels. We're going to look at Matthew's Gospel and see what it says about the resurrection of Jesus. It's going to be Matthew 28, verse 1 to 8, or I'm sorry, verse 1 to 7. But before we get there, let me set the, let me set the picture in case you're not sure what happened. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He was crucified. Before He was crucified, He was whipped With a Roman whip, 39 lashes, which would have turned his back into hamburger. Some people say that you would have been able to see his internal organs by looking at him from the back. Then he was nailed to a cross and he died. And just to make sure he was dead, they pierced his side. It went all the way into his heart with a spear. The point is, Jesus was dead. And then two rich guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, a Pharisee. They took Jesus' body and they put it in Joseph's tomb... And they sealed it with a big stone that, that no couple of people could have moved. So Jesus died. He was, he was buried. And then what we're going to read about is what happened on a couple of days after that, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days. Some people would say it's only two, but it's three. Anyway, as Sunday morning approached, there were some women who wanted to finish the process of embalming Jesus. Since Jesus died on the evening of a holy day, They weren't able to do uh, the burial properly. So these women were going to come and they were going to go into the tomb and they were going to properly finish the anointing and embalming process. But they had two problems. The one is the stone. How were they going to move the stone away? And the second one is the Roman soldiers who were posted there because the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus had said he was going to rise from the dead and so they convinced Pilate, the Roman governor, to post a platoon of Roman soldiers in front of the, of the tomb so nobody could come and steal the body and make it look like he had risen from the dead. So that's the situation, and here's what we read. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So, the account claims... That Jesus, well, first of all, the account claims that an angel caused an earthquake and rolled the stone away. And then it claims that the soldiers went into a dead faint. And then the account claims that the angels talked to the women and said, Jesus isn't here coming and look. He's gone because he's alive, just as he said was going to happen. And you can meet him in, in Galilee. Now, let's look at this from a scientific standpoint. Okay, first of all, angel can't have an angel From the standpoint of science, because science doesn't uh, admit the existence of the supernatural. It just can't go there. Now, I'm not against science. I want you to know, my first major in college was biology pre-med. All right? Biology pre-med. So I'm not against science. But science has limitations. And the limitation that science has put on itself is if I can't see, taste, touch, hear, or smell it, if I can't reproduce it in a laboratory, it can't be proven to exist. And so they just don't talk about angels. The next thing is, how about these soldiers all fainting at the same time? Well, the women didn't. Doesn't seem likely from a scientific standpoint. And then finally, Jesus is alive. No way. You don't come back from being dead. That's just not scientifically possible. Now, I'm not saying I agree with any of that. In fact, I disagree with all of it. I I believe there was an angel. I believe that the, the guys did faint. I believe that the angel did talk to the women. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Notice I said, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's it's faith, I'll admit it, it's faith. But here's the thing I want us to consider this morning. What is the evidence? You see, the philosophers of the 1700s, 1800s, what they said was, we don't accept that miracles can happen, therefore miracles can't happen. Huh. Now if I say, I'm assuming something can't happen, therefore it can't happen, does that mean it can't happen? No. How about if we do this? This would be the reasonable thing to do. Let's say somebody said a person rose from the dead. Let's examine the evidence. Let's see if it's reasonable to assume that he did. So we have the the account from Matthew. We actually have the account from Mark, Luke, and John, three other books in the New Testament. And they all say the same thing, that Jesus rose from the dead. And some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. I heard that that was myths and legends. I heard this book is made up of myths and legends. The interesting thing about myths and legends, historically speaking, is it takes about... Two or three hundred years usually for a myth or a legend to become a myth or a legend. And these books were written 20 to 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So it doesn't seem likely that they're myths and legends. The next thing is I have a book in here that was written about 10 to 15 years after Jesus rose from the dead. It's called 1 Corinthians. And we're going to turn there right now if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Corinth was a city like San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York. It was a hedonistic city. Everybody did whatever they wanted. And Paul the apostle had gone there and he had preached the gospel, the good news. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And here's what he says He says, Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying, I came to Corinth. And I told you the good news. Here's the good news. In case you never heard the good news, here it is. There is a God who created the universe and everything it contains. And that good God who created everything in the universe created two people, Adam and Eve. And he had a relationship with them because he loved them. And they were his children. And one day, Adam and Eve decided that they didn't want to follow God anymore. And they decided they wanted to be their own God. And that's called sin when we rebel against God. And so now there's a broken relationship between the God of the universe and the two people And the question is, what's God going to do about that? And the answer is, God decided he would continue to love the people, even though they turned against him. And throughout the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament part of the Bible, we talk about all the ways, or we read about all the ways God related to the people. And then, at a time in history, just the right time we're told in Scripture, Jesus, the Son of the living God, came to the earth as a human being, and he grew up and lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross... And rose from the dead to take away human sin because the basic problem human beings have, according to the good news, is the bad news. The bad news is first before the good news. The bad news is we're sinners and God can't tolerate sin. And so instead of wiping us out because he is a good God, he decided to die in our place and and pay the penalty, which was the death penalty for us. And then Jesus rose from dead. That's the good news. And Paul said, you received the good news, you welcomed it into your life, and then he says, you're standing firm in the good news, which means you're living it out in your life today. And then he says, something very reasonable. He says, unless, of course it was never true in the first place. You see, we think, because we live in the, 2016. C.S. Lewis called this chronological snobbery. We think because we live in the modern times or the postmodern times that we have much more wisdom than anybody who lived 2,000 years ago. But Paul recognized 2,000 years ago if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if all of this stuff is not true, then it's not good news and our lives are hopeless. Paul realized that 2,000 years ago. And so here's what he said next. I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. So Paul said there's been a lot of information transmitted in all of history. In fact, look, look at all the technology since the time of Jesus till now. Oh my goodness. In the time of Chris until now. We didn't have cell phones. I mean, heck, I had 8-track tapes. That was a new thing after cassette tapes, Right? Now, I don't even think people listen to CDs anymore. I think they have these little... I don't know how it works. Okay. But technology, technology has advanced a great deal since the time of Jesus. Medicine has advanced incredibly since the time of Jesus. Information has exploded since the time of Jesus. But what Paul says of all the information, all of history, the most important information is three simple truths. Jesus, actually four. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus wrote again, rose again. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died for human sin. Jesus was buried. He rose again. And he said the Scriptures, that's the Old Testament, told that this was going to happen. And it did happen. And you heard it and you believed it and it changed your life. But now you're doubting the reality of the resurrection. And so what Paul says is, He was seen by Peter and then by the Twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So, we're talking about evidence. 500 people saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. Some people... Probably a lot of people in the room here might think that only like 11 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, or maybe 15 counting the women, right? But actually, 500 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. If I were in trouble and I had 500 witnesses who could verify that I didn't really do it, I wouldn't be in trouble anymore. You see, 500 witnesses is really good evidence. And what Paul is saying is we're in Corinth. You're in Corinth. He was actually in a different place when he wrote the letter, but you're in Corinth. And Jerusalem's far away, especially if you lived in those days because you had to walk or ride a horse or a donkey to get there. But you could go from here to there, and you could interview people. Hundreds of them are still alive because it was only 10 or 15 years after Jesus rose from the dead who saw him. If you want the evidence, go ask them. And the thing is, even though that's pretty powerful evidence, the most powerful evidence of all for the resurrection of Jesus is what happened to those 11 guys. Who after Jesus was crucified, they went back to Jerusalem. They got into their house and locked the doors. And they were shaking in their sandals because they were afraid the Romans were going to come and arrest them too. And do the same thing to them that they did to Jesus. They were afraid for their lives. But then something happened. They weren't afraid for their lives anymore. Not only weren't they afraid for their lives, they went out in the streets in Jerusalem and they started saying, this Jesus that you crucified, He has risen from the dead. God raised Him from the dead, proving that He's Lord and Messiah. And they didn't care what anybody did to them. Now, Pascal has said it this way. He said, I tend to believe the witnesses who get their throats cut. In other words, when a person is willing to die... For their testimony, you're probably pretty sure it's true, or at least they believe it's true. And some of you are saying, well, there's a lot of people in the world who have died for their religion, for what they believed. Notice what I just said. They died for what they believed. People don't die for a hoax. People don't die because they pretended that Jesus rose from the dead. They died because Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, whenever Jesus was supposed to have risen from the dead, the easiest thing for the Jewish people to do, the religious leaders to do, would have been go back to the tomb, open up the tomb and say, look here, here's his dead body. But they couldn't do that. Because the only three things that are necessary for us to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, number one is that he died, because you can't rise from the dead if you don't die. Number two, that the tomb was empty and there no body. And there wasn't a body. They never found a body. And number three is that he's alive. That he's alive. Now 500 people said he was alive. And 11 people said he was alive even when they killed them. And they said, we're going to kill you unless you renounce this Jesus. And it wasn't just 11 people. It was thousands of people. In the Roman era, thousands of people said, we will not change our minds, our hearts, our lives. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. So Paul says that's pretty good evidence. But let me give you a little bit of more evidence. This is what Paul says. Last of all, As though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who is working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message that you have already believed. What's Paul saying? He's saying, My life was transformed. I saw Jesus different than the rest. I didn't see Jesus after he rose from the dead, before he went back to heaven. I saw Jesus after he was already in heaven. In a vision, he appeared to me, and and I had been persecuting the church. In fact, I had been seeing Christians being put to death, and I I was all for that. In fact, I was getting Christians arrested so they would be put to death. I wanted to stop the church from existing. And then I met Jesus personally, the living Jesus, and it changed my life forever. I'm not the same. What Paul said is, I become, basically what he said is, I become a better apostle than all the rest. That was really true. I mean, he was, he was being sort of humble. I don't even deserve to be apostle. But, you know, the, the other 11 guys basically took Jerusalem and Paul took the rest of the world with the gospel. Paul said, a transformed life is the best evidence of Jesus' resurrection. So some of you sitting here today who know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, me, you know, I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord. We are supposed to be the best evidence for the resurrection, The way we live our lives, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act should be evidence to people that Jesus lives. Because when Jesus comes alive, that resurrection power comes into his people. He said to Nicodemus, the religious leader, to help bury him, you know, if you want to have eternal life, you have to be born again. We're born physically, but you have to be born spiritually. And that power of resurrection comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when our lives are touched by Him, they change. That's more evidence. Now here's what Paul says. Because he acknowledged that some of the Corinthian believers weren't believing anymore in the resurrection. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Now that's another reasonable statement. If we preach that Christ has been raised, but He hasn't been, then your faith is useless. In fact, if Jesus has not raised from the dead, what are we doing here? Why would we come here to worship a dead God? It doesn't make any sense at all. That's what Paul is saying. Put it, put it, in a, you know, put it personally for all of us. What am I standing up here talking about if Jesus is still dead? In fact, he says this, And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Now, Paul comes to a conclusion that many have concluded in our day, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and there is no resurrection of the dead. But Paul goes a little farther. What he says is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you're still dead in your sins. Now, a lot of people today don't even believe in sin. They just believe in chemical reactions and you know, electrical impulses and that's all we really are. But what Paul said is throughout human history up until the last two to three hundred years, he didn't know this was going to happen. But he was saying everybody knows there's right and wrong. Everybody knows that. It's common sense. Everybody knows it's not right to kill somebody. Everybody knows it's not right to starve somebody. I mean, everybody knows that. And Paul is saying if Jesus didn't rise from the dead then everybody knows that we're sinners, inherently we know that, and we're still sinners. And everybody knows that those who died, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, they're lost too. And so all of our beloved, you know, my parents, you know, who I believe are in heaven, well, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, neither did they. And so what Paul says next is, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, those of you who are in the room who say, well, even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I still want to be a Christian because I just want to live that good life. I want to live the truth. What Paul is saying is, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there isn't any truth. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I'm a liar. And anybody who says he did is a liar. And, and we're of all people the most to be pitied because you see, I believe in, and I think many of you in the room believe Jesus did rise from the dead. And we've lived our lives in a way that, that says that that's true. And Jesus' resurrection isn't like anybody else's resurrection. And when you say, wait a minute, what other people rose from the dead? Of course they did. In fact, in two weeks, here at New Life, there's going to be a, a Cuban pastor standing up here preaching, Pastor uh, Alfredo Linares, and his wife Barbara will be with him. And his wife Barbara died, I forget if it was 17, 20 years ago, 20 minutes dead in an operating room in Cuba. And they, the doctor had called it, and then the doctor came out and said, you know, Pastor, we're really sorry, but your wife is dead. And he goes, no, she's not. And he said, yes, he, yes she is. "No, he's not. No, she's not. Yes, she is. And they argued for about 10 minutes. And he said, I need to see my wife. And they, they finally let him in after about 20 minutes. And he went in and he laid his hands on her and he prayed for her. And they still had the little things hooked up from the, you know, the, the, the machine. And when he said, come back to me in the name of Jesus. Boop, 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 after 20 minutes. That's pretty cool. But guess what? Barbara's going to die again. Unless Jesus comes back first. But Jesus rose from the dead, He's never dying again. That's the difference with Jesus. That's why it's the one necessary miracle. If Jesus rose from the dead, then everything we believe about Him is true. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then it doesn't matter if they bring us back after 20 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever, because we're going to die again and we're dead. And Paul says, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. First of a great harvest. We're part of that harvest. If it's true, if the evidence that we see is real, then we're all going to die, but we're going to live forever with Him. Now, here's the question I have for everybody in the room. Does the evidence seem reasonable? The evidence that there was a man who died on a cross. He was dead. His tomb was empty on Sunday morning, and 500 people saw him. And 11 people's lives were radically transformed and millions of people's lives have been radically transformed throughout history. So does it make sense to believe the evidence? Or will we continue to believe what philosophers and scientists have been telling us for the last two or 300 years that miracles don't happen? Now I will admit, it takes some faith to believe the evidence. But there's a lot of evidence. Oh my goodness. You don't have to be a fool to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, I know people that have doctoral degrees that do. You don't have to be a child to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But thank God children can get it and they do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so here it is. If you have never trusted Jesus before as your Savior and Lord and you're in the room today... And you've listened to this evidence and you said, wow, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about the 500 people. I didn't know about all of these things. And so today it makes sense to you to say, yes, I believe. I I think the evidence is clear and compelling and I want to give my life to Jesus. I want Him to be my Savior and Lord. We're going to put a prayer up on the screen. It says this, Heavenly Father, that's God. I admit I'm a sinner, which means I've broken your law. I need your forgiveness. pardon." I ask Jesus to become my Savior, save me from sin and death, and Lord, owner of my life. I receive his death on my behalf in payment for my sins. That's saying I, I don't think that Jesus died for everybody, but he died for me and i trust him for the new life he died to give me that new resurrection life that we can all have fill me with your spirit that i may live as jesus follower this i ask in jesus name now if that reflects your heart right now you've never prayed a prayer like this before you've never believed any of this stuff before but right now you want to i would ask you to pray that prayer with me and those of you who have prayed a prayer like this before if you would just want to affirm your faith you can pray it with me too so let's pray heavenly father i admit i'm a sinner i need your forgiveness I ask Jesus to become my Savior and Lord. I receive His death on my behalf in payment for my sins, and I trust Him for the new life He died to give me. Fill me with Your Spirit that I may live as Jesus' follower. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of us in the room who just prayed that prayer for the first time, and those of us in the room who have trusted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have the opportunity to go out this week and show that we actually do believe what we just said. And here's today's commitment for the coming week. I will live the reality of the resurrection in my life this week. I will live the reality of the resurrection in my life this week. What does that mean? Well, what it means is different for everybody. But what it means for all of us is that our thoughts will be different than they used to be. Our words will be different than they used to be. Our actions will be different. In what way? They'll be more like Jesus. Because this power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit in us, starts to change us. It's not instantaneous. I mean, the change, the transformation to a new life, that's instantaneous. But the growing up to be like Jesus takes a lifetime. Now, my dad lived his entire life eager to learn, eager to live out a common sense life, questioning, you know, some of the academic stuff. But he never trusted Jesus as his Savior and Lord until he was 73 years old. 73 years old, and he died when he was 75. If he were standing here this morning, I know what he would say. Don't wait that long. Don't wait till you're an old man and your life is over. Do it now. Trust him now. And then live your life, the rest of your life, for him. Because it makes all the difference in the world. Whatever? No, not whatever. Who? Who? Jesus. Jesus. He is alive. You know, the traditional thing, Christ is risen. And people say, he is risen indeed. That's what churches have done for you know, a couple thousand years. We don't, we don't really do that here. But in my mind, I mean, I've had 20 people say to me, Christ is risen. And I didn't just go. I went, he is risen indeed. He is. Because that's true. He is risen indeed. Right? Right? Okay, I thought there might be a few believers here today. And as we go out, it makes all the difference that he did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much. I thank you so much that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty that I owed and everybody in this room and everybody that ever lives. And I I, I thank you so much that he rose from the dead. And God, I I know that some people say that's not reasonable, but I, I know it is. And I know it takes a step of faith for us to believe that, but it doesn't take a very big step. And God, I pray that you'd pour out your spirit into each of us today, that as we live our lives this week, people will look at us and they'll see you. They'll see Jesus in us. And they too will want to have the life that's truly life in Jesus' name. Amen.